Hello, welcome to The Lore You Know, a show where we chat with some amazing human beings who are storytellers, collectors, and folklorists as we discuss the history of, inspiration behind, and importance of recording and sharing regional tales. Today, joining me from Kentucky, no, Tennessee, you're in Tennessee, aren't you? Yes, ma'am, Clarksville, Tennessee. Oh, ooh, Clarksville. All right, is Elijah Henderson of the Cryptid Studies Institute. Thanks for joining me, Elijah. Hey, no problem. I appreciate you having me. How you doing? I'm all right. I'm all right. <laughs> um, so, first of all, I'm super excited to see you again. We got to see you for um, a new movie that's going to be coming out, something we're super excited about called American Werewolves. I was real excited to be a part of that. I appreciated y'all contacting me. You know, uh, I, I told Seth this. I don't know if I uh, mentioned it to you, but the day after we went up there filming, like the very day after, I got a message from a friend of mine. He does uh, Bigfoot research in Land Between the Lakes, and he sent me an encounter that had happened the day we were in the park. It happened on like a, I think one of the highways we used to get inside of the park. Happened about oh. three or four o'clock. Bigfoot sighting, one run across the road. Ah, why couldn't it have been us? That's. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder why it always makes me sick. That's the second time that's happened to me. There, there was a dogman encounter the very day I was in the park. I was up at the site where the family got attacked, and mm -hmm. a week or so later, we're on phantomsandmonsters.com, and somebody had a report of a dogman sighting at the Elk and Bison Prairie. The very day I was there, I passed by the Elk and Bison Prairie. I seen the area, <laughs> but I wasn't there. Oh man. That's that's terrible luck. <laughs> someday though, someday it's gonna line up. Hopefully, I got my fingers crossed. I got my fingers crossed. <laughs> so part of what I like to talk about is like the influence of storytelling, and I know that you you collect stories from from other people as well. But I'm curious, who who taught you the importance of collecting stories? Well, uh. Me and my family, we come from Appalachia over around East Tennessee, and uh, Appalachia is kind of the land of storytellers, you know. Uh, my family has always passed down stories of oddities that have happened to them, to my grandmother, to my dad, and then to me. So, you know, uh, those stories have always been in the family and whatnot. And I, I guess just the nature of uh, cryptozoology and coming from that kind of background, you... Uh, storytelling's kind of in your blood is is just kind of just kind of what you do mm -hmm. what was the first uh, cryptid story that you can recall as a kid that kind of caught your attention first one that i remember was a uh, we went we, we used to go as a family camping down a lot at a place called montgomery bell state park it's over in dixon tennessee uh you may have heard of the white bluff screamer before it's right around in that area uh we were doing some camping there and the ranger came up to our camp and he was inviting everybody to a public showing of a documentary they had called the legend of werewolf springs and we you know my dad he loved werewolves he he uh, always been a big fan of the wolf man and things like that when he was a kid just a big fan of werewolves so obviously we were going and uh the the documentary detailed how on the back side of the park they have an area called hall springs but it was nicknamed Werewolf Springs because in the latter part of the 1800s, a circus was going along the railroad back on the backside of the park. Excuse me. And 
the circus train derailed for whatever reason. Apparently, uh, during that time period, uh, railroads were being sabotaged, so that, that may have been what it was. But they had a lot of animal exhibits in their boxcars, and they split open and their animals escaped. And the people running the circus, they were able to recapture everything, except a male and female creature that they had on their manifest listed as a either a wild man or a wolf man of Borneo. And they're never able to recapture that. But since that time, there's been all kinds of strange encounters with what people describe as literally a werewolf. Uh, one of them being a gentleman, a landowner, and a uh, farmhand were carrying something like a glass door. That they're, I think it was a glass door they're carrying on their wagon. They were going along that backside around, I guess, where the railroad would have been. And they seen the werewolf. And, you know, they tried to speed up their horses and get away from it. And it gave chase to them. They sped up their horses a little bit more. And it was as faster than them. And it eventually started climbing up into the back of their wagon. And they realized that, okay, we're not going to both make it out of this. So you jump off and go left. And I'll jump off and I'll go right. They split up. Not the best plan, I reckon. But they did that. (laughs) And one of them ran the landowner and jumped behind a fallen down tree. And he heard his farmhand being just torn apart. He, I think he made it out okay, but uh, there, there's been all sorts of stories of fatal encounters and sightings of werewolves in that area, and, and that that is probably the oldest one I can remember. There, there's stories in my family that predate uh, me seeing that, obviously, but uh, mm-hmm. that's the oldest one that I could possibly remember, I believe. That's awesome, and when I first met you, it was at CryptidCon, and you had little jars the first thing that yes. I bought was some dirt from Werewolf Springs. See, I think that's the Werewolf Springs right there, actually. Yeah. I stuck it in a bowl back here. Mm-hmm. That was the first time that I'd heard that story, actually, was when I met that, you. That, that's uh, probably one of the oldest, if maybe not the oldest, because there's been stories of Lugaroos, uh seen around land between the lakes around the 1700s but it, it would have to be one of the oldest werewolf stories in american history mm-hmm. that's pretty cool oh it, it's a it's a got an amazing history to it there there's supposedly a gentleman who went up there to kill whatever was haunting the park so to speak uh, that's one way to phrase it and he got in this cabin and it burst in the cabin and it was after him and he climbed up inside the rafters and he was shooting down at this thing and it was swiping up at him, clawing at him. And he was up in the ceiling, he was down at the floor and he was saving one bullet for himself in case he couldn't kill this thing. And supposedly the sun started coming up and it, and it ran out of, out of the door back off into the woods. Whoa. Yeah, that, <clears throat> that reminds me of some of the stories that I've heard when I was looking up Rougarou stuff, for sure. Very it, it, similar. Almost sounds like a legitimate werewolf. I mean, I don't know, probably coincidence, but you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, speaking of the dirt, you also were selling pieces from uh, John Bell's land as well. Yes, absolutely. We went, uh, I was able to, it, people aren't traditionally told where his land was. I guess there'd be a whole lot of people Oh yeah. Press on private property and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But if you go down from the school, the Bellwood School, there's a cemetery called the Bellwood Cemetery. They have an obelisk all the way in the back, and there's directions on that 
stone obelisk that actually say uh, John Bell's farm was so many rods north, so many degrees east. And I was able to actually kind of retrace back to where it was. And I had a general area mapped out where I thought it probably was. And I went into one of those land surveying apps. I think it was on X hunting and it'll actually say John Bell senior cemetery in there. And the land is owned by the Bell foundation. Yep. Uh, and you can go in there and look at pictures of like where his house stood and match the same environment. So I went over and scooped up some dirt and, and the rest yeah. is history, I guess. <laughs> now, nothing bad ever came from you uh, bringing that home, did it? Not not that I can recall. I mean, uh, <laughs> anytime I start working on that documentary series forward, something always seem, seems to happen. Uh, but no, not, nothing from the dirt that I can recall. Well, that's good. That's good. Was there something else that, that caused issues? Uh, so... On, on our channel, Cryptid Studies Institute, we've been working on a series about the Bell Witch called it Season of the Witch. And ever since we started that documentary series, uh, there's just been complete disaster. Uh, we've had three. <laughs> I mean, it's been horrible. I'll tell you what. Uh, been working on it for about a year and a half, two years. We've had three cars blow up. I think a washer and a dryer, one or the other go down. Uh <laughs> My mother was diagnosed with cancer and passed away. My dad caught COVID and passed away. I almost lost my eye. I had to go to the emergency room because uh, I have a deadly red meat allergy. And I went to Burger mm. King and requested one of those Impossible Whoppers, the vegan ones. Yeah. And they yeah. gave me a full-blown beef burger, sent me straight to the hospital. And then my sister sliced her finger, wiped it open, had to go to the hospital. And it's just a constant disaster. And then... My mother, she said she felt something sit down in the bed with her. Then my dad, he was in bed. He said he felt something sit down in bed with him. Mm-hmm. And one of one of the weirder things was my mother loved Christmas. So we'd, uh, on our porch, we'd have all these little wire electric Christmas lights. So we'd uh, have them all over the place. And it's got these little boxes on it. You push the button on it and turn it on. And we got those boxes hidden in a lot of kind of obscure places that you wouldn't just see, kind of keep them out of view. Mm-hmm. we kept coming home and those Christmas lights would be turned on and it might be one, it might be three. One time we came home and there's seven strands turned on and it, we just thought that was really weird. Didn't know. Yeah. If, we live down in a holler. So we've had some strange things happen here. So I don't know if maybe a curious Bigfoot came up and just seen how we were doing it and pushed a button or maybe somebody was coming down messing with us. So I put a trail camera out there and Came home, seven strands are on, I put a trail camera out, and we went inside for about an hour. Came back out, and another strand of lights was on, but it was just outside of view of the trail cam, so it didn't catch anything. Yeah. And it was just kind of constant things like that. Uh, right before my dad passed from uh, COVID, we uh, were sitting in our living room, and from one of our back rooms in the house, it sounded like somebody coughing and gurgling uh, mm-hmm. in the back of the room, and it was like, that that just didn't feel right, you know. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but co- constant stuff like that. Yeah. Did you grow up in Clarksville then? Yes, ma'am. My, my family comes from over in East Tennessee, and they migrated over to Clarksville, Tennessee, because um my granddad was in the military, and he would move around a little bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's too flat here. There's no mountains or anything. I hate Clarksville. <laughs> it on. is pretty flat. That's that's true. But if you grew up there, then you grew up with the Bell Witch story. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I live about 25 minutes from Adams where it all happened. And then about an hour from Werewolf Springs, about not 40 minutes to an hour to Lamb Twin Lakes. I, I'm kind of in a very <laughs> unique place for cryptid and all that kind of research. Right, right. Um, so growing up in that area then, were there warnings about the Bell Witch? I always get fascinated when I hear about how this is kind of hmm. like transferred. Like I've heard that they teach about it in schools in that area. Um, I don't know if that's true or not. That's just something that I've heard. That, that's what I've always heard. My school book didn't teach it. Uh, it wasn't that cool <laughs> to teach that. Uh, <laughs> But I've always, I've always heard about growing up, you know, it's like folklore around here. My mother, uh, when she was growing up, you know, they, they would have a, a game and you'd go into a bathroom at night in front of a mirror, turn out all the lights and you'd say, it, it, I've heard two different things. You'd say, I hate the bell witch or I mm-hmm. don't believe in the bell witch and you're supposed to see it in the mirror. Mm-hmm. And that, that was a game up here that people played. She never seen anything. Uh-uh. Yeah. But uh, you, you just kind of hear it, like, uh, every now and then. There's a lot of people that have moved into Clarksville and say, hey, have you ever heard of the Bell Witch before? And, no, no, what is that? And so I get to <laughs> unfold the story for them. Yeah. Uh, every Halloween or so, you'll you'll hear generally hear somebody talk about it. We had somebody at a – there's a Civil War fort that's up here called Fort Defiance. And last Halloween, they actually had a uh, – ghost stories of tennessee segment and they talked about the bell witch and that that, that that was pretty good but as for warnings not not really if you go up there they'll say hey don't don't take rocks from the area or don't take rocks from the cave because you'll have b- bad luck mm-hmm. next time i go to the cave i'm probably going to get a scoop of rocks and you know if anybody <laughs> wants to buy some like they, they can i'll just keep them outside the house you know yeah uh, i'll just put a disclaimer on it hey buy these at your own risk you know but yeah. it's kind of like a cool souvenir of like creepy history, you know. Hey, this is from the Bell Witch Cave, you know. That's true. Do you have other souvenirs from places like that with a similar reputation? Uh, I've got a piece of one of John Bell's cabins. It's just it's like a little splinter that came from that. Uh, mm-hmm. Generally, any weird place I go, I grab soil from it. I yeah. I went down to the Devil's Crossroads where Robert Johnson sold his soul. <gasps> uh, I should have got some dirt from there, but I didn't. I was a little what? superstitious of that. Uh, pretty pretty so cool, cool place. But the big problem with that is, you know, it's it's not in some kind of obscure crossroads. You go down there, and it's right in the middle of traffic. you got to cross over mm-hmm. traffic to walk into the middle of it. Big pole goes up, and it says the crossroads on it. it has a big old bass guitar on the top of the sign. Wow. they got all kinds of restaurants down there themed, themed around it. I, I recall one, it was like a... I guess it was a fish restaurant. Is wearing a pair of sunglasses and are standing by the crossroads. But they they definitely uh, try to promote the crossroads down there. But yeah. uh, that I went down there. Wish I'd got some dirt. I didn't. <laughs> uh, what is another spot? Werewolf Springs, obviously. There's an area up in East Tennessee that's been having. Uh, they call it Pity Pat Holler. It was a place where it's uh, over in Sail Creek, Tennessee. The area historically in the 1800s was, uh, they called it Pity Pat Holler because people, when they'd walk through there at night, it was extremely, extremely dark. And they would always hear something 
following them on the roads and it would sometimes attack people. It would, uh, they, it got, got called pity pat holler because of the sound its feet would make when it would step on the road. It kind of pity pat, pity pat, pity pat. Mm-hmm. And it would sometimes jump on people or on their wagons or on their horses with them. And people didn't want to be down in pity pat holler at night. <laughs> and, and even today it's interesting. There's signs up around the area for like, uh, moving companies that say, We'll go anywhere, even Shipley Holler Road, uh, which is where that happened. So the legend is still kind of there and prevalent a little bit. Don't know if anything yeah. goes on, but it, it's a very dark area. And I made sure to scoop up some dirt from that area. So I, I kind of like to collect that when I, when I go around in places. Yeah, I get that. I take rocks from everywhere I go, except the Bell Witch Cave. I didn't do that. You got to have some Bell Witch Rock. Mm, I don't know. We'll see. Mal, have you get it. And then I'll get it from you. <laughs> there we go. I'm going to keep mine outside. I don't want that inside. <laughs> uh, so in that in that that pity pat holler, what was that creature supposed to look like? They didn't really ever see it because it was so dark, but mm. they said it was. It seemed cat like. Uh, okay. So I don't know if maybe it was some kind of a, if it was a Bigfoot, if it was some kind of like a Black Panther up there, or. Uh, mm. Or what it was, yeah. but nobody ever really got a great look at it because, uh, I guess because the area is just so dark. Right. I recall one story of a woman, she was going down there in a wagon, and an- another wagon, uh, with her children, and I think it caused, it came out and like either scared the horse and caused that wagon to derail and flip over, and the mother was found dead and her two children were missing, something like mm-hmm. that. Uh, and that was uh, toward the 1800s. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> in your area, we've talked about, we have Dogman and cats. You've mentioned Bigfoot. Are there any other really interesting cryptids in your vicinity that have caught oh, your attention? Over in Clarksville, Tennessee? Well, yeah, in Tennessee, Kentucky. I mean, wh- within two hours oh, of where you okay, are. Okay, I gotcha. I gotcha. Well, uh... I got a feller. I'm actually working on a documentary right now uh, over an Indian mound. It's not too far from Lamb Between the Lakes. It's about 20, 30 minutes from LBL as as the crow flies. Mm-hmm. But um, he lives off the grid up off into the woods, and he always has you know Bigfoot activity, a lot of tree knocks up there. Uh, the Bigfoot up there seems very unique because there is a uh, – there used to be a donkey that he lives – it's weird. He had the main road, and he's way up a hill. But down the main road, there used to be somebody that owned a donkey down that way. And now, up off in the woods where there are no donkeys, you'll hear donkeys calling from all over the place. Uh, we had an audio recording, and unfortunately, I lost it. It was amazing. Uh, it That Bigfoot or whatever it was was making that real deep donkey sound close to our camp off in the woods. And it sounded like it got strangled, and it started choking but uh the, the reason why i mentioned that area is because that same gentleman uh he was hearing a disturbance outside and he went outside his home and his dogs were kind of after something and he shined his flashlight off toward his pond that's where his dogs were and off in the grass he seen he said it looked exactly like a chunk of work and i don't know if you know what that is uh it was this uh the I think it was the Lawe tribe of Indians. They had a legend. They called it the Shunkawarkin. 
which means carries off dogs. And we don't know exactly what that would have been, but there was a creature shot in the late 1800s and it was stuffed. It, it's an ugly, ugly looking dog. Kind of looks <laughs> hyena-ish. Uh, okay. But they stuffed it and they, they somehow connected that name to it, a chunk of Warrican. And he's seen it and he says, I swear that's, you know, that's what I was saying. It was that chunk of Warrican. And it had like a little baby one with it. I couldn't see the baby, but you could see it kind of rustling around through the grass. And it would kind of uh, bark or run at my dogs and run them off. But he said that there's a chunk of working that uh, came on his property. So is that like on two legs? Is it four-legged? What? It, it's four-legged and it uh it kind of has a hyena-ish appearance, which is okay. interesting because a lot of your dogman reports are described as looking like a hyena. So I, I don't know if yeah. maybe there's some connection there maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, over not not terribly far. It's a little closer to Nashville there. They had something called the Critter Car Creek. It's actually in Robertson County where Bell Witch happened, but it, it was, a uh, described like an American hyena or something like that, uh, Critter, Critter of Car Creek. And it's supposed to have kind of a hyena-ish look. So I don't know if maybe people turn some of those loose or if it's some kind of a breed kind of rare and unique to the U S yeah. But uh, there's there's supposedly something running around like that. Mm, that's wild. I've heard of that critter from uh, Pat Fitzhugh. One time when I was talking with him, that seemed oh, yeah. to catch his attention. Well, he's from the area, so I guess that'd be why. I uh, reckon so. Yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so if you had to choose a cryptid that's your favorite, I suppose, like anybody says that they've had an encounter nearby and you're like, I'm on it immediately. What would that be? It'd probably have to be dog, man. Yeah. I love my dog, man encounters. <laughs> if it wasn't dog, man, I, I mean, we're werewolf people. We, we, we love werewolves. Mm-hmm. Anything that looks like a werewolf. Uh, but if it wasn't for something like that, it would probably be, be over in my hometown in East Tennessee. There was a, uh, it's a little critter. It's nothing particularly dignified, nothing very interesting, but uh, occasionally you'd find people mentioning it, and it, it was kind of like an Appalachian tradition. It was called a grave robber. They used to... Uh... Yeah, okay. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm so excited about this. <laughs> so the grave robber, It's a. it was just like a little critter. They'd say mm-hmm. it looked like a weasel mixed with an anteater, and it would burrow down into the graves, and it would... Uh, actually consume the bodies and eat the bones and it'd make little nests inside the coffins. This was before your metal caskets. Uh, so you don't see a whole lot of that kind of thing anymore, but it was yeah. actually so bad for a time that they would put little stone slabs like a kind of shaped like this over mm-hmm. the graves or they'd build little houses called grave houses because the grave robbers would actually, they'd go in there and they, it, it became a big problem and you can find newspapers talking about, uh, grave robbing ghouls going down and eating the bones dragging them out and the i recall one where they took a bunch of like little flags that was on the 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 graves and they made a nest inside one of the coffins with those little flags uh even my dad when he was a much younger man uh there's a i guess it'd be my great 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 grandfather he would find the holes going just like just straight down, going straight into the grave where something had been going down in it and they'd fill it back in and then dig it back out. Uh, so while my family, the living people never seen one in person, 
that story has been uh, passed down of some kind of little critter in a cave. It's it's about the rarest thing these days. I'll mm-hmm. ask people a lot and nobody remembers it. O- occasionally you'll yeah. get some kind of little glimmer of information. Uh, Huckleberry from Mountain Monsters was able to tell me a little bit. He uh, oh. he said something like in his part of the country, I thought that he thought that they'd been hunted to extinction up there. Mm. So that they're probably, if there's any left, there aren't very many at all. Right. Yeah. The first time, well, the only other time that I've heard about them prior to you mentioning them was in Barton Nunnally's book. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Kentucky. Yeah. And it caught my attention right away. I actually sent a message to uh, Mark Matsky because he does a lot of research, too. And I was like, Mark, do you know anything about these guys? And he was like, no, I don't. But I'll let you know if I find anything. So if I'm you ever hear anything, give me a holler because I just love hearing about him. That is so cool. That's, oh man, I'm super excited about that. I'm going to tell Mark as soon as we're done. <laughs> Message him. But it's just so unfortunate because you just don't hear anything about them anymore. It's like a, it's like a part mm-hmm. of, I mean, obviously they were a big problem for people, but you just don't hear anything about them anymore. The culture, uh, culture yeah. has forgotten about them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's true. And we get more populated. So there's probably not a lot of places to hide for one. I reckon so. Yeah. They were, I don't know, when I read the description, I thought they sounded kind of cute, because they're little. <laughs> I, I figure they'd probably be kind of handsome in appearance. <laughs> I can only assume, but you know. Right, right, exactly. Just be like a oh. big rodent, like a capybara or something, you know, just with a little mm-hmm. different look. Yeah, don't they hop, too? I thought, are they the, I feel like, I remember hearing something about them kind of jumping like kangaroos a little bit the one in barton nunley's book uh i think it took some mighty leaps uh the ones i've always heard about never heard any info about them jumping that that's not to say that they didn't but right that's super cool i'm so excited about this what other um what other cryptids were you told about growing up like stories like that that were passed down through family so my uh i don't think she'd appreciate me telling this but i don't figure that she'll ever see it my grandmother, when uh, when she was a little girl, her and her brothers, you know, they, they lived in uh, East Tennessee. is is much less uh, populated, you know, a lot of woods, a lot of fields and whatnot. And when they'd be walking home at night back to their house, something would follow them back and they could see like uh, up on top of the hillside, little stones rolling down. They'd hear something walking up there. They'd run, it'd run. If they'd stop, it'd stop. And they'd run back to their house and, it, you know, it'd be running behind them. And they'd get inside, they'd close the door and they didn't really have locks on the door. So they'd push the stove up in front of the door to try to keep this thing out. And you could see, uh, it'd grab the doorknob and just kind of, you could see the door kind of shaking like that. It didn't seem like it knew how to operate a doorknob, but it, it would shake the doorknob back and forth. Mm-hmm. And things escalated to the point where they were sitting around and they're listening to Loretta Lynn records and they started hearing some raspy breathing coming from one of the windows and they looked toward the window and they seen a face looking at them. It had red, red eyes, red glowing eyes, and it had kind of a wide nose, like an old man. And it had a monkeyish face and they were, uh, it's just staring in watching them. And, you know, being, being mountainers, mountain people, they got the idea they're going to go outside and they're going to shoot it. So right. they grabbed they grabbed the rifle, went outside, and nothing was out there. It run off. Uh, another occasion, there's a, uh, I think he, 
I don't know exactly what he would have been to me, an uncle or a cousin, but uh, he was riding his horse out in the field one day, and he was riding, and there's a he said there's a Bigfoot sleeping right there in the field, and it's his horse either jumped over it or his horse got scared by it, and it scared that Bigfoot and jumped up and run off. Everybody got scared by it, and uh, apparently that was him riding his field or his horse out in the field one day. Arguably the most impressive one was one of my uncles. He's the meanest thing to ever bother daylight. He uh, he'd stand out in a thunderstorm and curse God. He he uh, killed people and went to prison for it. I'm not gonna describe how because it's pretty ghastly, but uh, just an evil, evil man. And my aunt Myrtle's farm. She had a uh, big farm. She had a sawmill on it, and she had hogs on this farm. Something was coming through and taking the hogs and you know they thought it was just some pecker wood taking all their their livelihood you know hogs were their livelihood at the time so they did a bit of a stakeout Clyde and uh that was my uncle and a couple other folk and they're watching with guns seeing who was coming and taking their hogs well they described something that looked like a gorilla came and walked out of the woods stepped into the fence grabbed the hog by its front legs and its back back legs slung it over its shoulders and just stepped back over the fence and walked off into the woods. And he said, I wouldn't have shot that for anything. It would have just made it mad. So <clears> so <throat> this this uh, gentleman, who's probably not afraid of anything, uh, mm-hmm. was at least a little intimidated by whatever this thing was. And eventually, you know, uh, sightings and occurrences with this thing just kind of slowed down. And newspapers in one of the neighboring counties talked about like a... I think like a wild man showing up over there. So I guess whatever it was just kind of moved along. Right, right. Yeah, that would, I think, would intimidate anybody. Oh, it'd have to. It'd have to. Yeah. Um, Can you explain the beginning of the Cryptid Studies Institute, how that came about, and what you do? Well, the channel, it's been up for about two years. Uh, The actual organization has been around for a long time. My dad, he uh, he got the idea that he wanted to start an organization, and he came up with a name. And one of our uh, real close friends, he uh, asked, "Hey, do you want to come along? You know, and uh, we'll start an organization." And I started one, and I think it's probably the name has been around for about fifteen, sixteen years or more. But we only really started doing things about two years ago. Yeah. We went up to Dayton and filmed a video, called them Nightmare Nuggets of Cryptid Terror, and the rest is history. We just kept going from place to place to place and filming videos. What we did differently than a lot of folk is we would go on site and show where a thing happened and where people seen this or that. Uh, Most of what you see on YouTube, it's a... It is just like a lot of radio shows, which there's nothing wrong with that, but... uh, we, we kind of wanted to do it almost in like a, you know, in a documentary style format and just kind of show people where things took place. And uh, over in that region, there's plenty, plenty of stuff to choose from. Uh, so we didn't really run out for a good while. I still got plenty of stuff I can do for now, but just don't have time mm-hmm. to do it. Yeah, I understand that. What's your favorite one you've covered so far? Uh. I, video that we've done and such yeah Mm -hmm. 
I'm in Land Between the Lakes all the time, so I love anything having to do with Beast of LBL. Hmm. That's a toughie because there's so, so many stories we've done that I, I, I've i heard growing up that I love. I uh, did one Grave Robbers. I love Grave Robbers. Uh, we did a video of just kind of folklore and stories uh, from my hometown. And j- just about anything that came from that town, I, I just kind of have a particular yeah. uh, fascination with it. Mm-hmm. My dad, he would always... Uh, I guess one of my favorite stories he always told me that we did a video about and he never know what, what this thing was. It happened to my aunt and it happened to him. Uh, Myrtle, you, you remember me mentioning that name when he was a little boy, all the kids around, they would kind of get dropped off at Myrtle's house and they'd stay with her for a while, you know, while the adults went and did their thing. They, she, she was like a, probably kind of a, almost a full-time babysitter for these kids. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and they'd go outside and, you know, they'd play. <clears throat> and uh, they were playing outside there making mud pies when uh, one of his cousins walked out of the woods and she had, like, a white dress on. And uh, she was trying to get them to go into the woods with her. And, you know, they kind of ignored her. They just went back to what they're doing. And uh, this gal kept trying to convince her, hey, come off into the woods with me. And eventually they just kept doing what they are doing. And this gal went back off into the woods. Well, later the adults come back from town, and once you know who steps out of the car, it was his cousin in completely different clothes. She'd been in town all day, and mm-hmm. they told the adults, and uh, they went looking, and they found some of the white hosts in one of the bushes. So it, it, it always baffled him. He didn't know what it would have been, but uh, yeah, it, it's kind of like one of those stories of doppelgangers. But the fact mm-hmm. that uh, the white hose was in the was right. in the bush. I don't know, you know, the land was full of granny witches that, you know, did all sorts of magic. And mm-hmm. I don't know if maybe it could have been something like that. And yeah, they were pulling something off. I, I don't know. Still to this day, we don't know. But he always talked about it. Occasionally, I'll get my aunt to talk about it. That's something. Yeah, because the physical piece left behind. <clears throat> it doesn't hardly make any sense. Mm-mm. Do you have, since you mention granny witches do you have any stories about them well uh i'm not gonna say who but i have had them in my family before Mm -hmm. uh they're all dead now long dead but you know uh they they occasionally tell my dad things you know he'd be like hey Mm -hmm. can can you can you kill people doing this and she said well i can but i don't want to go to hell so i don't do it and there there was something they would do i don't know what it was but it involved taking like a, I think it was like a bowl of ice water and maybe even sticking it on the roof, but you take somebody's picture and put it in it and like turn it upside down. I don't know what it was for. Uh, <laughs> probably will never find out. But uh, the, the granny witches, let's see here. Uh, the granny witches up there, they uh, practice a lot of powwow or what was called the long lost friend. And that's actually the book there. I, I don't practice it, but you know, yeah it was kind of part of our culture i guess so you know my dad wanted a copy to to own and they would read and do stuff from that there there was a i don't think i'd call it really granny magic or anything like that but there's people up there that when they get cut or they're bleeding out 
they would read them Ezekiel 16, 6, which is a, they, it's called the blood verse in Appalachia, and it would stop the blood. Uh, they'd mm-hmm. stop bleeding. My granddad, great-granddad, he would hemorrhage blood, and he couldn't read, so he'd run across the field to one of the neighboring houses, and he'd ask this lady, can you read the blood verse for me? And he'd stop bleeding. And eventually mm-hmm. she taught him to go along with it with his finger and taught him how to read that verse. And uh, his blood, by, by the time he died, it was just covered in little blood stains by the time he was uh, he would oh. hemorrhage out. And I, I guess that would have probably been kind of like a faith healing. That that went along up there. Mm-hmm. But they'd do stuff like that. They would, they'd would they cure thrush. It They had some motion they'd do. They'd take a baby that had thrush and they'd kind of curl the hand over like that and put it over its mouth mm. and kind of breathe out like that. Mm. And my dad actually had it done when he was a baby and uh, they took him to some lady and she did that to him and it cured him of his thrush. But uh, wow. all kinds of uh, interesting things like that. Uh, p- yeah. Plenty of stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's the stuff that gets lost if it doesn't get passed down, too. And unfortunately, I mean, you know, I'm not a person who does witchcraft or advocates it, but mm-hmm. it's still part of that Appalachian culture. So it, right. it's a little sad that it's being forgotten, you know, at least not being mm-hmm. discussed, you know. Yeah, very, very true. So, Land Between the Lakes, I feel like it was shortly after we left that you sent me a message and said that somebody had contacted you and some really crazy stuff was happening at this cabin. Can you go into that story a little bit? I can. I was contacted um, a little before that we met up in LBL. And as one of my friends, uh, well, my dad's friend from when he was in school she was his nurse when he was in the hospital and she wrote me that her brother's friends had been up in lambert in the lakes at a cabin up there it's a it's a cabin you have to hike into it's called i think the will Flora cabin and i'm still trying to get directions to go to that but it's off in the woods looks like the cabin from evil dead so you know it's creepy <laughs> he was invited to go uh with his friends but he he declined he didn't go and they wrote him saying that all kinds of just weird stuff had happened. They'd gotten up there and there'd been snow. About three o'clock in the morning, something came through and kicked the door off the hinges. And I think this is like a big solid wood door, you know, it just kicked it off the hinges. And there's no tracks out in the snow or anything like that, which, you know, made things infinitely stranger. They'd hear things walking up like in the in the attic. They'd hear... I don't know what it was, but they said strange noises behind the well outside and sounds of people talking and there are sounds of kids giggling. Mm. And all this took place at a, I believe it's called the Will Flora Cabin. Uh, So maybe somebody will know where that's at. Yeah, they should get a hold of you so that you can find it. I would love (laughs) to know where that is. I I don't really do any kind of supernatural research i, I stay away from that like uh, anything hands-on but you know i still kind of want to go see it and maybe do some dog yeah. man research up there you never know what happened yeah yeah absolutely so at the end of each show i ask my guests to tell me a story so elijah can you tell me a story um maybe something from land between the lakes that we haven't covered yet that y'all haven't covered yet uh well let's see here 
probably not wanting to hear about the 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 family attack or anything like that, right? It whatever. It doesn't matter. You can tell that story. Well, uh, let's see. I'll, I'll kind of summarize it real quick, just so people mm-hmm. kind of have an idea of what's going on. Uh, Beast of LBL is famous because in the 1980s, as the story goes, a family of four went up there doing some RV or camping in a travel trailer, and they went up into this area up into the northern end of the park. And uh, as the day was drawn to a close, a dogman, as the story goes, that that's kind of what all this, the story has always been connected to, a dogman came and attacked and slaughtered the family and it killed the dad the mom uh the little boy and there was a little girl too and when people officials showed up on the scene there was a they they found little girl's clothes but they couldn't find the girl so they went looking and there's a little bit contention because there's a there's multiple retellings of this that the little girl was either about a hundred feet away from the from the travel trailer, and the the other version is that she was up in the tree and partially eaten mm-hmm. on. The other rendition is that the the dog man was was dead up in the top of the tree that showed that it had been shot by one of the people, and that that that's the basic summary of that, mm-hmm. and that's probably why the Beast of LBL is so famous today. It's one of those rare instances where a creature cryptid creature killed somebody and you know since uh since the 1700s there's been story upon story of a uh, lugaroos by the french explorers uh sightings of lugaroo by the french explorers up there that they were in the region and then you have a uh, stories all the way back to i think uh early 70s or the 60s of people coming up missing by things or getting attacked by something in 1979 there was a couple supposedly attacked and killed by something that looked like a hyena that stood on two legs that held him down with his hands and was just biting plugs out of him um story i'm not sure if i've ever told you or not me and my family yeah we we talked about this for that documentary uh we were up there camping in a place called uh, we we nickname it Dark Hollow, but it's actually called Racetrack Hollow. Mm-hmm. And over in there is where the bow hunter's body was found. He was found up there dead, uh, partially eaten on. That could have been coyotes, anything. I, I seen mm-hmm. some red wolves in the park, which they say is not there. Mm-hmm. Could have been mm-hmm. easily anything, just simple. But it was where that was seen. And there was a dogman seen by a feller mushroom hunting up in there. We went up there and did some camping. And it's alongside a creek. You've got a creek in the middle and uh, you can camp on either part, either shore. There's a more, there's a better camp spot across the way, but we were on this side to where the road led in. And as the day was drawn to a close and there's all these cottonmouth snakes that were coming out, we counted about five or six cottonmouths in the area. And my mom, she didn't mind dog, man. She didn't mind Bigfoot or anything like that, but she hated a snake. And I can't really say I blame her. But, you know, we decided we'd pack up and we wouldn't camp there. Probably wouldn't be safe. And while we were gathering our stuff, my dad looked across the creek and he seen some orange eye shine watching us. And we went over there because we had to get a trail cam that was over there anyway. And we found that it was just a little curious raccoon watching us. And about that time, 
was looking off and I seen, hey, Dad, uh, do, you, do you see that there? That I shine? And it was kind of like an electric blue color. Mm. Mm, excuse me. And he said, where? Right where that really dark spot is? And as soon as uh, he says that, there's a loud grunt or growl. I, I don't really know how to describe it. It was something really deep. And it something hit that tree and it started shaking like that. Mm. And we started backing away. Scariest part of all of it was we had to pass a coiled up cotton mouth that was in the road. That's the worst part of it. And we got back to the other side and we're like, well, let's just sit in here and wait a while. You know, we, we got everything packed up. Uh, we got our chairs. Let's just sit and we'll listen for a while. And my dad said, hey, boy, you still got that, uh, that silent dog whistle. So we took it out and I blew it. And it, it kind of sounded like it wasn't really tuned right. So I worked it a little again and I gave it another blow. And 40 seconds later, it sounded just like a T-Rex coming through the woods, breaking limbs and branches. And uh, I actually got the audio clip on our Dark Hollow video on our channel if anybody wants to hear it. But it's something just huge coming through the woods after us. And I think maybe the only reason it didn't come out is because we had all these fiery tiki torches and the area was lit up. Mm -hmm. So at that time, we started packing everything up, trying to get those tiki torches, you know, put out. And the worst worst thing of of it, we parked right up against the wood line and we're trying to put out these torches and it was like a trick birthday candle, you know. You'd blow <laughs> it out and it'd relight. And uh, as yeah. soon as we, I think we even set one inside the car and it started lighting back up. But uh, we got everything packed up, walked over to the wood line where this thing apparently was, got in the car and drove off. And we stopped at a gas station before leaving and asked them about the Beast of LBL and it had been something, you know, the, the gas station attendant had heard about. So it, it's something, I guess, kind of prevalent in the area, that story. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that would terrify me. And there's there's plenty of stories from the region. It's it's kind of hard to remember them all. You know, people getting chased out, getting their van chased out, uh, families camping. They hear something coming after them, get in the car, turn the lights on, and it looks like a werewolf. So they drive out of there. Uh People see them run across the trails, run across the road with uh, litters of pups, as they described them. Uh, even a woman described that her husband got killed by two monkey men. Uh, the, wow. the stories are kind of endless. I heard one mm -hmm. that uh, one was seen up there, and it was described as looking like the werewolf from Silver Bullet. Mm -hmm. uh, pl plenty, plenty of stories, you know. Yeah. I went up there fairly recently and uh, me and my sister hiked down to Hotel California at night and that, that was real creepy. Don't know if there's anything down there, but when we got up there, there's something kind of walking around. So I was like, yeah, let's, let's turn around. Uh, yeah. Apparently that's a big hot spot. People see them a lot up there. So I don't know. <laughs> oh man. Well, where can we find you? Uh, my main hub, I guess, would be on YouTube. It would be Cryptid Studies Institute on YouTube. That's where I do all my videos and documentaries and whatnot. I'm on Facebook, Instagram. I don't use Instagram as much as I should. Technically, <laughs> don't use Facebook as much as I should. But uh, I try to get stuff as, as often as I can on YouTube. Mm -hmm. We got a website, cryptidstudiesinstitute.com. Uh, yeah, you, you can pretty well find us just by that name, Cryptid Studies Institute. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking time to talk to me today. I appreciate you inviting me on. It was a blast. Yeah, and everything held up. The internet held up just fine.
I can never get it to work with a stream yard, and it seems like that's the one people always want to use. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I'm glad it worked today. I, I was just on one a few weeks ago, and I have to go from laptop to my phone. My phone would get close to dying, then back yeah. to the laptop, then back to phone. It, it wasn't pretty. Yeah, I've had to do that before, too. I completely understand. <laughs> um well thanks for listening guys or watching um you can send me an email heather at smalltownmonsters.com if you would like subscribe become a channel member um and uh yeah until next time